name is Jesus Christ. He loves you. When we look at Easter, we see absolute power. When he guts the grave, he defeats death, he conquers the coffin, he shows us life and that forevermore. One day we will be home in heaven. Easter is absolute power. But, but Good Friday, let me tell you something. It is absolute love. That the God that, that made us, the God who made everything, maintains everything by the power of his word, that he died for us, even though we were rebels, even though we were sinners, even though we were the ones that put him there. His love never flinched. It never fluctuated. And it never will. Today, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you're going through. I'll be honest with you. I, I had a bad day today. How many of you here had a bad day? Can someone here help me out? I'm like, how can you have a bad day on Good Friday? I'm like, how does that work, you know? But I think what it is, a lot of times, to be honest with you, is that the devil, he doesn't want, he doesn't want God to bless. He doesn't want you to experience that victory. He doesn't want you to know that he loves you, that God loves you, that not only is it amazing to me to just to know that one day we'll be home in heaven forever with God. I mean, that just blows my mind, but, but between now and then, and none of us know how long we have. We might die tomorrow. We might have another, you know, a few decades. None of us know, but when you're a Christian, the life that we live now is awesome. It's abundant. We have our trials. We have our difficulties, but we have victory. And we, man, we get to do what God made us to do. That's what happens when you're a Christian. And so today, it's a good Friday in one sense for us, not for him, but man, you know, Sunday's coming. And I want to share with you a message out of John chapter 19. If you have a Bible today, and if you're here, someone invited you, uh, we want to welcome you. We pray that you would know the love of God. And even if they bribed you to come, you know, they're like, hey, go to this church right across the street is in and out Man, I'll take you afterwards, you know. <laughs> it's okay. We still love you if that's the reason you came, you know. Because God, he wants to do a work. He wants to give you a new start. This is not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. It's not superficial. It's real. There is a living God. There is a loving God. You're not here by accident. You're not a you know, product of series of fortuitous occurrences. You're not you know, someone who was evolved. You're made in the image of God. And when you die, there's life after death. And so this is what it's all about. You know, here in John 19, we have an amazing text and for me i'll share with you at the end why i chose it but we have this whole incident from john's perspective uh, and i and i'll be honest with you i think i need to begin today with a confession i don't know if you knew this or not but you know before i was a christian i killed god i killed jesus christ it wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't Judas Iscariot, you know, who betrayed him. It was me. It was me. I did it. 
You know, it wasn't the Romans only or the punishment of Pontius Pilate who they say sealed the deal and sent the sentence. No, it wasn't him. It was me. He died for my sins. Jesus was nailed to the cross because of my pride, my selfishness, my sin, and my rebellion. I killed him. And if you're honest, you would admit that you did too. Now, thank God he didn't stay dead or we'd be in big trouble, right? But I think it is so imperative, it is vital, it is important beyond your wildest imagination to know that we did this, not them. You know, John Stott, he said something so profound. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Do you see that? You know, Mel Gibson, I, I don't, it's so hard for me to watch that movie, The Passion of the Christ, but I force myself to do it on Good Friday because I need to see at least a speck of what my Savior did for me. But I'm weeping when I watch this movie. I'm just, I'm just tormented. I have a headache. I mean, it just tears me up. This was what the Lord did for me. Mel Gibson, he made that movie. But one of the things, I don't know if you knew this or not, he's in the movie. He's in the movie. He's in the scene where the man, he takes that hammer and he's nailing Jesus' hands to the cross. Mel Gibson says, that was me. That was my hands. I did it to him. And all of us need to have that same understanding. When we look at the cross and we see it as something done by us, we can then move to that place we need to be, that it was something done for us. He died for our sins. You know, his arrest led to my freedom. His guilty verdict led to my innocence. His suffering led to my solace. His red blood led to my white robe. His hell leads to my heaven. And all that, when we begin to look at the cross, it's just a drop in the ocean when it comes to determining the depths of the doctrine of the cross. You know, when you look at John's account here, you know, so much has gone on, but I want to pick it up in John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, look at verse 17. I'm sorry. John 18, 19. John 19, verse 17, it says, And he bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. When we look at this text, we see the crucifixion, first of all, of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I like what it says right there at the end of verse 18. Did you guys notice that? Jesus in the center. You know, and just uh, give me a little freedom here. Let me just say this. That's exactly where he belongs. Not outside, not on this side or that side, but in the very center of our lives. You know, you, 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 you're just, your life it revolves around him. You wake up in the morning, you think of him. God, what do you want me to do today? What 
can I do to serve you? Who can I help, Lord, in your name? It is all about you because, Lord, we, today we understand that you died for us. You died for me, so I must live for you. Jesus, you need to be in the center. You know, guys, remember the story of the little girl who went to her dad and wanted to spend some time with him, but he was too busy reading the newspaper, and so he took a page of that paper that happened to have a world map on it, and he ripped it up into 50 pieces. He gave it to his daughter, and he told her that when she was done taping it back together, they would hang out. And so, you know, she walks away sad, but she returns five minutes later super glad. And, and the dad was amazed how she was able to put this world map together so quickly, so he said to her, I didn't know you knew geography. And then she said, I don't, Daddy. But on the other side of the paper was a picture of Jesus. And when I put Jesus where he belonged, the whole world came together. You see, and that's the way it, it works. I mean, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe your world is falling apart. Maybe your, your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your body is falling apart. Maybe your life is falling apart. Maybe your family is falling apart. You know, we've all been there as Christians and people getting saved. We've done that. We've made a decision, however, to put Jesus back where he belongs, in the center of our life. And when we do, it all, it all comes together. Now, of course, this right here, what we're reading is a different center. He was crucified between two thieves. And you know, when you're reading your Bible, you might just keep reading. And he was crucified between two thieves and on and on and on and on. But what's going on? That, that word crucified. Crucified. That's a, an amazing word. And I think we can't just go on without thinking a little bit about what was going on, how he was crucified. And there really are no words to describe what he went through on the cross and all that transpired leading up to it. Last night, we studied the agony in the garden, that, that, that medical term hematidrosis, where Jesus sweat drops of blood, which would not only weaken him, but dehydrate him and cause the skin to become tender and fragile so that any pressure or damage to the skin would be absolutely, extremely, utterly painful. I mean, that's just the setup for what would happen next, the beatings at the hands of both the temple guards, the Roman soldiers, and of course the scourging, the crown of thorns, and after all that, the walk down the Via Dolorosa where he would carry his cross, 110 pounds, and after all that was happening, he had been up all night long, he comes to this hill, this place of a skull, in the Hebrew it's Golgotha, in Latin it's Calvary, and there they crucified him. So, I mean, so much that he went through because of his love for you. And Mark shared that one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, usually we're nice to people when they're nice to us, but if you're mean to me, then I'll tell you what, I'll be mean to you. That's the way we usually roll. But that's not how God does. You can mistreat God and his love will never change. It doesn't move it will never ever end it's an unending love it's an everlasting love it's a no matter what love it's no matter what you've done love 
He will always love you. He loves you right now. And if you're ever wondering, well, I don't know if God loves me because this happened and that happened, please understand, that's why he died to fix all those things. And if you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, understand, he died for you. He went through all this. They, they crucified him. You know, it's interesting, the... The, this place, it says right there in verse 17 of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. In Latin, it's Calvary. That's who we are. We're Calvary Chapel. That place of a skull where Christ was crucified, we identify with that event. You know, I'll never forget the day I was saved, August 20th, 1989. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life and he said, hey, you're a sinner, you need a savior. You know, I mean, a lot of people, they go to church, they don't really know the Lord, they're going to die and they're going to be in big trouble. But when you, you know, God begins to move in your life and he calls you in, not just plain church, not on the outskirts, but you're in. You're in, you're in, you're his. Man, it's an amazing thing, the addictions that he sets us free from, the way that he changes relationships, the way that he grants us purpose to a hopeless life. You know, that's when I was saved by the Holy Spirit. And then it's amazing when you read the Bible, you realize that before time began, you were saved by the Father when he chose you. The Bible says he chose you according to the, the knowledge of his election. And so you were elected according to his foreknowledge. He looked down the corridors of time and he saw you and he said, that person right there, they're going to have a, an open heart. So you're saved by the Father before time began. You're saved by the Holy Spirit that day and hopefully today's the day if you don't know the Lord that you give your life to Christ. But you were saved by Jesus on this day where he died on that hill for you. You know, if you were to go to Israel, uh, you would see the hill that he died on. And a lot of people, they'll see the skull because they see these impressions in the side of the mountain. And that's, you know, maybe what it is. But a lot of other people believe the reason it's called the place of a skull is because there's a lot of skulls there. You see, that's where people were crucified. As common criminals, that's where Jesus died. You see, we see number one in verses 17 through 18, the crucifixion of Christ. But then we see in John's text the identification of Christ. It says in verse 19, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but it, he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, and they made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, and they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, I divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And therefore the soldiers did these 
things. And it's interesting looking at this, you know, what's the flow here, John? What are you trying to say? This is what he's trying to say right here. This is who died for you. You see the crucifixion of Jesus and then you see the identification of Jesus. It's not an error. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't simply the spite of Pilate that on Jesus' cross for all the world to see in all their languages was that title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You know, it was written, first of all, on the cross. Now, usually on the cross, there would be the crime of the criminal, but Jesus had committed no crime. Pilate knew it. And as a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, I have a feeling that he knew Jesus was who he claimed to be. Not just the king of the Jews, but I think he knew he was the king of kings. You know, his wife, when you study the whole thing, had that dream about Jesus. We read that in Matthew 27, 19. The Bible says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And you know how it is. Husbands should listen to their wives, Right? Pilate knew she's right. She had a dream. I'll bet you it's true. He's a just man. So Pilate sought to release him to no avail. You know, when you read John 19, 7 through 12, it says the Jews answered him, we have a law and according to our law he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself the son of God. And, and as they're, you know, kind of sharing, you know, what Jesus had claimed to be the king of the Jews, the son of God. My wife has a dream. Now you're standing right in front of him. You're standing right in front of God. How can you not know it? Pilate, he knew it. Deep down inside, he knew who he was. So he wrote it on the cross. His identification, the king of the Jews. Not only was it written on the cross, it was written in the Bible. That's what we read in verses 24, uh, that this whole prophecy right here, you know, that you know, they had this garment that Jesus had that was not, you know, it was seamless. And so, you know, what you find is that every Jew had five articles of clothing, and, uh, you know, they would have their shoes, their turban, their undergarment, and their tunic. But then there's the outer robe as well. And so these four soldiers the Romans would have were then able to take the four articles of clothing, but this last one, they, they had to throw dice for it. They had to gamble for it. They threw lots for it. And what that was, was a prophecy written 1,000 years before Christ by David in Psalm 22, it says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And what that did was that directed everyone's attention back to that chapter. And when you read that chapter, Psalm 22, it was all about the one who was nailed to a cross. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. It says that in the Bible before crucifixion was ever invented. And what it is, is identification. Pilate knew it. John knew it. He shares the scriptures that this is the Messiah. This is the coming one. This is the one that the Bible prophesied. Uh, he would come. You know, if you think about the title, the Christ, uh, that means the anointed one, and that's the anointed prophet, priest, and king. 
And so as the prophet, he's the messenger. As the priest, he's the mediator. And as the king, he is the monarch. He is the majesty. And for us, when we think of Jesus dying there on the cross, we've got to know who it is. I mean, I don't know about you. You know, when he came the first time, he came as a lamb. When he comes the second time, he's coming as a lion. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come on a white horse, not on a donkey like he did the first time. And he's coming to conquer as king. How many of you are excited about that, man? I'm just so excited, you know? Things are going on in the world that we live in, huh? It's getting crazy, man. Everything's getting set up so that we can have one man that would kind of bring the peace. It's the Antichrist. But before the Antichrist is revealed, Jesus Christ will come and rapture his church. After the seven-year tribulation, he will then return. We'll be with him, and we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And he will be the king of kings with an everlasting kingdom. And I don't know about you, but to me, that makes sense. You know, I look at it, these guys that we have, and man, I'm sorry, we're all messed up, man. It's in us. We know that he has to come. I can't wait. See, when you look at our text, we see these things. Next, it's so beautiful to see Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion of Christ, the identification of Christ, and then the compassion of Christ. Look at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And what we see here is the, the compassion of Christ. You know, I mean, it's kind of a bummer. It's actually a tragedy that some see this as some type of uh, exaltation of Mary. It's not. It's simply a manifestation of the love of her son. How Jesus cared, how he was compassionate. You know, how he really loved. Because in all reality, what love is, is putting others before yourself. And that's exactly what he does in a very, very practical way. You know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I think it's important for us to know that Christianity is very, very practical, you know? I mean, it, we're not supposed to just live in a church and, you know, have a good time and sing songs and, you know, sit down and have Bible studies. No, we got to get out there. we got to help people. We got to clothe the naked. We got to feed the hungry. You got to give drink to the water. We got to go to the ends of the earth and all those third world countries and we have to help them. It's very, very practical. You spend time with, you know, your kids and you go on dates with your wife and you take care of your mom and you take care of your dad. Sometimes when they get older, this is what real love is. And that's who Jesus was to the very end. You know, James says in James 2, 15 and 16, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? If some guy comes up to you, he hasn't eaten in three days, and you're like, hey, the Lord bless you, keep you and have a good day. No, man, give him some pizza or something. 
You know, when here's the Lord and he knows the situation at home that his brothers don't believe, here his mom is he's just dying inside, seeing her son crucified. What's going to happen to her? I mean, here's Jesus on the cross and he can barely breathe. When you look at crucifixion, it's a horrible death in which, in all reality, the, the, the main problem is you just can't breathe. His arms are out of joint. And, you know, he's just going up and down, trying his best to, to just, man, to breathe up there. But he sees his mom, and he says, you know what, i got to take care of her. Mom, I want you to stay with John. And, John, I want you to take care of my mom. And that's the way the Lord is. And let me tell you something, not, not just with his mom, all of you. All of you. And the Bible says that, you know, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from our Father's will. And, and, if, and if he values the birds in such a way, how much more you, created in the image of God. He knows the tears that you cry. He knows the hairs that you have. He knows when you sit and when you rise. He is always watching over you. He is always taking care of you. The, the air that we breathe the beating of the heart, the spinning of the world. It is all God taking care of us. And that's the God that we serve. The, the compassion of Christ is manifested here as we see Jesus' heart. And I want to encourage you to follow him. He will take care of you. You know, when we look at this, we see the crucifixion of Christ, the identification of Christ, the compassion of Christ, but then I think in, in one sense the most important part is the salvation of Christ. Because we see in verse 28, and after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth and so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Those three words right there, it is finished. This is the, the reason I was drawn to John today. You know, I chose this gospel because I I think we need to hear this. We need to know. Have a bad day? Not that you take it lightly. You blew it with your wife? You know, try not to. You spoke a little rude to your child? Please, guard your tongue. You know, and maybe there's other things, you know, and our mind, it goes in different places and you know, you get mad at someone and, you know, they cut you off in the freeway. They give you a one-way sign. I don't know. You get things that, you know, happen in life and, and you fall short, you know. And let me tell you something, man. We all do. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I don't even deserve to be here because I'm all messed up. And I, and I, and I got high yesterday. I got drunk the other day. Let me tell you something. This is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. You are welcome here, but you got to come as you are, but you got to come to Christ. you got to come to the love of God and the power of Jesus Christ. 
And then when you do, and then you still stumble, let me tell you something. When you become a Christian, it doesn't even matter. You might be the pastor. It doesn't matter. The closer you get to God, the more you realize how far away you are. None of us, we're just men, we're just sinners. None of us are worthy. We will never be able. It's never us. We fall short every single day. That's why it's so important for us to know that when he died on the cross, he said those words, Manny, it is finished. You're my son. You are free. You are forgiven. I have a home in heaven for you. You're seated in the heavenlies. I will watch over you for the rest of your life and the rest of eternity. Why? Because it is finished. He died on the cross. You know, all the other religions of the world, they tell you, do this, do that, do this. It's all about do. Christianity, it's done. He paid the price. You know, it's interesting how Jesus is here on the cross and he said, I thirst, you know, and, and you look at that and you might wonder, you know, that's kind of weird. You know, well, was he just thirsty and they maybe give him a soda or something, you know, to quench his thirst, you know, know that, you know, sour wine, whatever. But you want to know why that all went down? Because when you were crucified, your, your tongue, obviously, you know, it's super dry. And so but here's the thing. The reason he was, is asking for something to drink is because he had something to say. And you, you couldn't say it unless, you know, I need something for my mouth because when I say this right here, I want everybody to know and I want John to write it down. I want the whole world to see. One day they'll be there in El Monte and they're going to hear these words. And the Bible says that when he said this, when you read the synoptic gospels, he didn't just say it is finished. He didn't just kind of whisper it under his you know, breath. No, it says that he cried with a loud voice. It is finished because he wanted everyone to know that. You know, one of the things that I am so grateful for, man, is that God loves us, not in light of us, but in spite of us. And God uses us. Not in light of us, but in spite of us. I want, I want to I do right. I want to die a godly man. I don't want to mess up. I hate sin because I know what it does to him and what it does to others. But I will fall short. You guys understand that? We all will fall short. But do you also understand that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all of your sins. Everything you've done in the past, everything you're doing now and, and tomorrow and for the rest of your life, he washes it all away. You know, and that's why it's called Good Friday. It's to tell us die. That Greek word, it means debt paid in full. How many of you here are in debt? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you guys that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so awesome to have you know, someone come and say, I'm going to pay it off for you, man. You are free. That would be so cool. Well, that's what he did for us spiritually. We owed a debt we could never pay because we sinned against an infinite God. It's an infinite offense. It's an infinite punishment. That's why it had to be an infinite being dying on that cross. That's why it had to be God. 
when you look at Christ, what he's done for us, not just a philanthropist or some sort of benevolent caregiver or teacher or helper, educator or inventor. No, we needed a savior. And that's what he did when he died on that cross. You know, I look at you guys and I'll be honest with you, man. I just think, you know what? They're all messed up. <laughs> like I know that one over there and I know that one over there, Lord, and they do this and they do that and whatever and you get the reports and it's, man, that's the way it is. But I also look at you and I know you're forgiven. You are free. You are saved. You are his. You are loved. Because it is finished. And now we fight. Yeah, we fight. Not for victory, but from victory. The war is already won. And I praise him for that. You know, I'll be honest with you. This, today I was kind of curious. You know, it's the anniversary of the death of Jesus Christ. And I was wondering, is it getting any attention in the news? And so I did a little research online, uh, CNN, nothing. New York Times, nothing. LA Times, nothing. You know, SA Today, nothing. Uh, Fox News, seven articles. Let me tell you, Christian articles right there. One of them, all about Good Friday. You know, and I was reading the article, and, you know, it was just so cool to see this on, you know, national news and it was this a great article about, you know, a man just saying if you had the cure for a disease that everyone was dying from, and then here's someone who has the cure for that disease, he said, how, wonder, how wonderful that is. That's what Jesus is, and that's why they call it, you know, Good Friday. But I was reading those other newspapers. To be honest with you, I was disappointed to say the least that there wasn't a whole lot of chatter about this matter because this is the day Jesus died, God died, love died, and it wasn't some sweet you know, transition into death. No, it was crucifixion, means of execution invented by the Phoenicians, mastered by the Romans to produce maximum amount of pain for a maximum amount of time. And it was not only painful, it was shameful because as that criminal hung there naked out in the open for all to see... They would see that's the terrible criminal. That's what God did for us. The horrible death of God. And yet, here's the thing. He died that we might live. It's not mainstream news. But it is the good news. Proclaimed in the church from the heart of God. That he died so we might live. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, but not me, not my sin. I'm really, really, really bad. Well, you can't be as bad as Henry for one, but let me just say this to you, okay? <laughs> Seriously, but no. Um, <laughs> Paul the Apostle was a murderer of Christians. And God saved him. And God used him. And God can save you no matter who you are. And God can use your life. See, that's what we need to know. Not mainstream news, but good news. What Jesus went through for you, nailed to a tree for me. You know, today I was talking to a brother, and he was talking about a conversation that he had at work today. And uh, he was talking to this guy at work, and he said, hey, did you travel that road over there, that curvy road? 
And the guy's all, yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, that's the road that I travel on the way to work. You know, that curvy road right there. And this, you know, dear brother, he told him, he said, you know, someone else traveled that road yesterday and they died on it. You know, 22 years old, didn't think they were going to die. Wife didn't think they were going to die. Mom didn't think they were going to die. But they died on that road. That was not the day they thought they would die. None of us think, well, I'm going to die today or tomorrow, for the most part, right? But the bottom line is, we might. You know, none of us know the day or the hour of Jesus' return or our departure. And here's the thing in closing today. Since it can happen at any time, you need to be ready. He did the hard work when he died on the cross. Now this is all he's asking from you, that you would realize you're a sinner, repent of that sins, and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You give him your heart, you give him your life, you make a decision from this day forward, I will follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says in James 4, verse 13 and 14, Come now, you say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. If you're here and you've been struggling, maybe as a, a, someone who's drifted away from God, then I, I beg you, come back to him today. You know, if you're here and God's tugging at your heart and maybe it's the first time, but you know his love and you know that cross and he's spoken to you, then today's the day. My prayer is that you would give your life to Christ because we don't know if we have tomorrow. And since we don't have tomorrow guaranteed on earth, how would you like to have eternity guaranteed in heaven? Follow him. Believe in Jesus. Receive life and that more abundantly. And if you do, then this Good Friday will be your best Friday ever. You know, that's what it's all about, you guys. You know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know your story. But God does. And God even brought you here today. No, my, my parents dragged me. No. God brought you here because he loves you. He wants to meet up with you. And he wants to give you a new start. What do you say?